What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Canby Christian Church Podcast. This is an on-Sunday episode. That's the episode where the pastors of the church get together in a dank basement and talk about what happened on Sunday, even though it's Wednesday, but that's Mm. why we call it on Sunday. I'm Mm. Cody. I'm Aaron. And I'm Rob. Nice. And Rob... I can't ask you how you were doing. No, you can't. <laughs> because we already did that this week. This yeah, is the yeah, second yeah. half of an episode. Part, That's right. part two. Yeah, that we'll be doing next week when I'm in Mexico. Or we could say part and, deuce. Is that when, right? And when I'm at Crater Lake. This and, is... and Aaron's at Crater Lake. And Rob's here, but didn't want to talk to himself like a crazy person. <laughs> no. <laughs> that Yeah, that would have been weird. Just me, yeah. a solo podcast. What are you going to do while we're gone? <laughs> Hopefully hold the fort down. You know, stuff. The same stuff I do every week. Nice. Spiritual stuff. Very cool. I'm going to read my Bible and pray a lot. Yeah. Mm. While you install <laughs> washers and dryers. I know. I just built. Did you see the cart? No, I did. The black one? It is so janky. And I'm so proud of it. We um, <laughs> Oh, for the is that for those tables? Yeah, we got some new oh, tables. Yeah. Rob, Rob had two associate pastor projects. <laughs> Dude, I got projects <laughs> He on projects. associate pastored a washer and dryer today. And yeah. associate pastored a a table rack for it's, some new tables. <laughs> yeah. We got a bunch of seminar tables that we're going to use for like classes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. The women's Bible study. It will just make, yeah, that kind of stuff go a lot more smoothly and uh, means we could do some cool stuff. So, yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Anyways, let's get in. <clears throat> let's get in. We're going into chapter three. Should we just jump right in? When no, just there's in. no both feet. Wow. People are going to be like, Rob, disoriented. Rob seems to be in a rush. He's like thinking about movies. Well, we have, have something, at, you have something at four, don't you? Yeah, CC we got Kids Summer Nights happening tonight. Are tonight. you volunteering today? Any of you guys? I'm not. My wife is. Michelle's. My kids are coming. Yeah. Are you not volunteering any of the days? I will, I think, the 4th of July week. Okay. I'm not tonight. And I'm gone next week. <clears throat> I'm so on the next week. Not this week or next week, but the last two weeks, but. We got to get the kids and get them ready and get them here by five ish. Right, right, right. If I remember, if I remember what my wife told me correctly, <laughs> which is like maybe a sixty percent chance. Yeah, I think I'm going out tonight. That's oh, true. we're, date we're night. taking advantage of it. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, hopefully, a we'll lot text of you uh, double date married couples do that. Um. <clears throat> yeah. We. This is part two because. If you listened to the last one, the last podcast, we talked about men and women in ministry and uh, gender roles and those kinds of things. We starring had that long starring melody. Mm-hmm. We had that long discussion, and we didn't get to the whole other half of the text that went over, which was the qualifications <laughs> and characteristics of elders and deacons, right? In because that chapter three, that male and female roles is controversial. So you can spend a lot of time talking about it, both on people who, uh, on either side of us, even more mm-hmm. complementarian than our churches, sure, and then even more egalitarian than our churches. Both of them can find kind of things to say and to argue. So it takes a little bit of time to dig into the cultural part. Um, but if you'll remember the main topic of the sermon from Sunday, uh, you, or the main idea, you borrowed a quote from John Stott as your main idea. And it was that the health of a church depends largely on the quality, faithfulness, and teaching of its ordained ministers. Mm -hmm. So the main topic was about leadership, not specifically man or woman leadership, but just 
leadership in general and how mm-hmm. that dictates the health of the church. So actually kind of a bigger idea yeah. there is who do we let be elders? Yeah. And how do we know that they're the right people? Right. And what qualifies them? How who do we let lead mm-hmm. ministry areas and how do we know what qualifies them? That's actually a, well, a lot bigger in of a one, topic. In one sense that doesn't not include women because women do teach in the church. You know, and we'll get into that a little bit later on, but the quality, faithfulness, and teaching, like even women who teach the kids or the other women in the women's ministry, like we definitely want women who can teach the Bible. And man, we have a lot of them, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) We have a lot of women who are really good at teaching the Bible. And we're so the health of a church depends largely (laughs) on the quality, faithfulness, and teaching, even of the women in our women's ministry. So, it doesn't not include them. Right. And that's why, though that is a little bit more general of a main point, it includes women, but obviously the focus is kind of on the ordained ministers in the leadership positions of elder and deacon. Um, but yeah. Cool. Um, did we want to, how did you, we want to do, do we want to look at each one of these qualifications you gave us on Sunday? Do you, is there one, like, does one stand out like, whoa, sometimes people miss this one. I, I think before we even get into the like line by line, I think that it would be helpful to talk about like the context of Paul's why why is he even writing this list? Why is he why does he say in the beginning the saying is trustworthy? If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. What is the function of that statement in this letter to those people then? And I was actually talking to a guy uh yesterday at our church. And I asked him because this was the context of my conversation with him, <laughs> has he ever aspired to be an elder of uh, in in the church? And his the, his statement to me, and I, I had uh, sympathy for it, was no, because that would feel prideful to aspire to a leadership position. And mm-hmm. this interesting. And that. Okay, yeah, I could see that. And I yeah, I get it, especially in those phrases like noble tasks. You know, you have sort of this view of like hierarchy. But in the inverted leadership paradigm that is Christian leadership, absolutely, being a Christian is actually being a low servant in the yeah. house. And uh, like, it's not people serving you, it's you serving people. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just the massive paradigm that we have to ha- continue to have this conversation on. Yeah. The assumption, we're not talking about top-down leadership, we're talking about bottom-up, I'm here to help someone else. Uh, I'm here for you. You're not here for me. And yet someone who aspires to that office aspires to a noble thing. And so I I, I sort of had to reframe that thinking. This isn't leadership like we see in the world where you rule it over them, but but serving people. Um, So again, going back to this statement, I feel like what Paul is trying to do is through his word to Timothy, He's trying to communicate to the men in the church who are qualified but aren't stepping up. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of guys who aren't qualified who are wanting to step up. <clears throat> and sure. they're the false teachers. And he's like, y'all need to 
knock it off, sit down, <laughs> don't listen to these guys. But man, there needs to be a plurality of elders. And Timothy, you need some other guys to help you. And you have those guys in your church, and yet they're not seeing the office of overseer as something like a desirable thing to be. Like, why would I want to get into that mess? Yeah. Why would I want to take on that responsibility? And <clears throat> and Paul over here, I think, is trying to motivate and inspire some of those dudes just sitting there who are qualified to step up. And I I think in different other contexts, we would think, man, there's probably a lot of people who want to be in ministry for all the wrong reasons. But then you've got other guys who don't want to be in ministry for all the wrong reasons. And I think that's what he's, I think that that's what he's addressing here. Yeah. Is, is that maybe like a little bit of our experience or? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I actually, I mean, I've heard of people who are like, I, I don't want to be an elder because it's going to take up a lot of my time mm-hmm, and it's going to mm-hmm. be difficult and there will be decisions we have to make that people are going to be mad about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of that. Uh, but it is interesting to hear someone who says like, I don't, I don't aspire to be an elder because that feels wrong. Uh, because it's interesting to hear that because obviously I can think of a handful of people who are like, I should be making decisions around here. Yeah. I should be teaching this stuff. I should be, you know, and they're always like the worst person, the person who comes in and says like, you want me to teach this? Hey, should I, you know, you need me to go speak? Do you want me to preach on a Sunday? And you're like, dude, no one asked you for that. <laughs> yeah. No one like saw that gifting in you and called you to, <laughs> to it. Yeah. Like you're coming and saying you should. And it's usually not like a great sign. Yeah. Uh, so I could see why someone who feels like, dude, I'm not going to aspire to be an elder because that feels like that weird thing that people do sometimes where they're like, make me the decision maker. And it's usually for the wrong reason. So I could totally mm-hmm. see why you'd feel like even saying I want to be an elder here, you know, seems like a, a maybe a not humble position to take. Yeah. Um, which I think is why we usually look for people to be elders and go ask them. Yeah. Because it's not always easy to say like, I should do this or I want to do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I have had that experience for sure with people who want to be, who shouldn't be people who should be and don't want to be. Right. Um, and so it is helpful to say, you know, the like if you if you have a gifting to lead and you think you might be able to use it for the church, like that's a good thing to aspire to. Because, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't say if you are a gifted leader, yeah. then go make sure you lead in your church. Right. Like it just says you should aspire. That's a great thing you're aspiring to. Right. It doesn't say your church is always going to also affirm it. Right. And I think that was part of your sermon, right? That, uh, I'll add on my notes, but there was three things, right? You, you, oh, needed, yeah, yeah, you yeah. needed to be skilled <clears throat> well, you and then be... you needed the desire, like the God given desire. You feel yeah. called and then your church needs to affirm that calling. Yeah. And if you don't have all three of those parts, you're missing one part of like becoming a, a healthy, good leader right. in your church. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I connected that point of how do you know? A, that person is like called, gifted by God. And, and that's a little bit nebulous. And how do you figure For that sure. out? <laughs> I, I mean, part of it is like the desire is there. But I, I think another part of it is like, 
the am I walking currently in the will of God? Like, are you serving in the church now? Are you leading in the church now? And <clears throat> do you have the ability to communicate and to teach? Are you are you someone who's making disciples? Um, that's somebody that the church then identifies. Oh, this person is already doing this stuff. So someone who's gifted and called by God is like kind of already doing it on mm-hmm. some capacity mm-hmm. by giving them the title pastor or elder or deacon is just simply <clears throat> recognizing what God is already doing in that person. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that person has to aspire to the opportunity. And so it's not just God's gift, but so the supernatural, but also the personal cultivation of those gifts. And that's what Paul gets into in the next book in second Timothy, when he tells him to fan into flame, the gift that God has given to you. Yeah. Like, man, if you don't, if you don't do the work, like, yeah, you have natural abilities, but you have to cultivate those natural abilities. Like anything, like a a guy who's naturally good at shooting free throws still has to go there and put in an hour, you know, a few days a week and practice his free throws or else he's not going to be very good. Yeah, And so the same thing with your spiritual gifts, you have to immerse yourself like he gets into, I think later on in chapter five um, or chapter four, you have to immerse yourself in the reading of scripture, study preparation, because you're not going to grow if you don't put it and put in the work. So I think that's where the aspiration comes from. If you aspire to those things, then you're going to put in the work. But it's kind of like, I'll use this as an example. The person, we, we say this to young guys who want to get married and young, young women. It's like, oh, I want to get married. And it's like, I'm looking for this person. And it's like, well, if you're going to, before you get married, you need to be the kind of person that you're looking for. Hmm. And so it's like, if you aspire to the office of an overseer, this is what you need to pursue then <laughs> in your life. Right. Not the office, but these qualities. And then leave the rest up to God, to your church to see when, how uh, that's going to play out in yeah. regard to being raised up to that. And so I think that's where he, why he transitions. <laughs> he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be. And then he just lays it out and lays out those qualities. Um, going back, though, real quick to the church has to call you. I, I think that's where I, I, I've met some guys where they've called me or they, they are like, hey, I'm pastor so-and-so. And I'm like, Oh, really? Like, what church are you at? Oh, I'm not at a church right now. And then I'm like, you're not a pastor then. <laughs> like, you can't just like... It feels tough to say, but... Like, okay. So that's like calling yourself a dad. You have no kids. Yeah. Well, I've got a dog. You're not a dad, though, dude. Like, I know <laughs> that you have to take the dog out and walk it and feed it and clean up after it, but you're not a parent, you know? And But these people who just sort of self-identify as pastors, no, pastors are called by their churches, pastor. Mm-hmm. I don't call myself pastor. And without a church, you know, without being called by a group of people that, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's really funny. But yeah, I believe that a church has to call their pastors and that's why they, they know that's the most healthy way of doing it. Um, hence why we do it the way we do it here. Um, but anyway, we can get into the qualities here. Any, yeah. any standout ones? To you guys, I mean, it's kind of funny because the one right out of the gate, be above reproach, like 
kind of summarizes everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're above reproach, that means you're doing most things to avoid. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're above reproach, you're probably not going out and getting drunk mm. because you're above reproach. You know, like if you're above right. reproach, you're probably not like openly like fighting with people in public, you know, like because it would look really bad. So I think if a lot of these things are kind of hidden in that very first one. For sure, but also above reproach though does mean more than that, right? Yeah. Because above reproach means there's maybe things that are permissible for you that you're like, I'm not going to do that because it might not look <coughs> the best at some point or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, Getting tattoos? What are specifically things that <laughs> yeah, you I mean, do, Cody? That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but are you kind of alluding to the fact that pastors are generally seen as more holy than the normal congregant? Which is probably, I mean, that's not really true. At least it not. No. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be true. But that's how most people perceive it. Like, oh, the pastor's in the room. I'm going to act a little different. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. sure you've experienced things like I mean, I, I guess here's an easy one, right? There is nothing sinful about like uh meeting one-on-one with a woman right in, ge- like, in a general yes, sense if i were to just sit in my office with a woman mm-hmm. and talk to her there's no no sin there but we as pastors never lock our door alone with a woman no in our office right. like because <clears throat> we want to be above reproach in that we yeah, don't want yeah, to yeah. look like there was a time where something might have been <coughs> happening because you're pastors saying, having affairs is fairly common. So we guard it well, for our safety. For hopefully the, it's not as common well, as yeah. the media I'm, makes Yeah, it I up. mean, yeah, it's fairly commonly talked about. It's as not like, unheard of. It's a, not unheard of. It's commonly talked it's, about as a thing that could happen, yes, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And it's talked about enough that we choose to do certain things that m- leave us above reproach in that regard. Like we yeah. don't uh, create situations that could be perceived as or that one person or the other person might have a uh, misunderstanding about the nature of the relationship. Right. We like that's an example of somewhere we've made ourselves above reproach yeah. by putting some boundaries in place of how we handle situations like that. Um, but technically, there is no sin taking place when mm-hmm. just a guy talks to a woman. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a good one of like you as a pastor, elder, church leader. You're not putting yourself in a situation where reproach could be brought upon you or the gospel, right? Hmm. So you're like at a party where there's like ridiculous things happening, right? Like you're not going to go there. And I know that there's these people who do ministries to like strip clubs and things like that. No, that's not probably the wisest thing (laughs) to do, you know? Um, You want to be... a above reproach in the sense that you're not putting yourself in a situation where you could be misunderstood or someone could say something and say, no, I saw this there. You do that. And it's like, well, and that's the problem with meeting with a woman alone or, or really anyone alone in your office. If it's a counseling situation or something like that is it's your word against theirs. And that's where it really can get difficult to sort of defend yourself because they can make up all kinds of accusations. Of course, Paul gets into that later on when he says, don't receive an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, 
<clears throat> because th those things are going to happen. People are going to bring, attempt to bring reproach against you, the elder, the pastor, in order to discredit you. And they, they don't care. They will ruin your life because they're just selfish, twisted, divisive individuals. And so, yeah, for your own sake, for the sake of the gospel, above reproach. Which then he goes off and tees out. What what does that sort of look like? Yeah, yeah. and I can <coughs> I can say him real quick. Above reproach was the first one listed in there. Um, kind of like summarizing fast. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, Husband yeah. of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his household well, must not be a recent convert. And it must be well thought of by outsiders. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I guess manage his household well can get kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? Some people would think that you know if you raised your kids and they didn't turn out Christians, yeah, that all that you, maybe that disqualifies you. I I don't think we agree with that, but I know that some people feel that that's what it means. <clears throat> like your your family should all be Christians, right? Yeah, I think like, well, I mean, for example, I mean, if you're, if your kid, this is why it's like a relational situation and why you go through an interview process with any sort of elder, whether they're lay elder or pastor on staff is <coughs> you ask questions about if their kids don't believe, if you sort of find out later on, like, oh, I, I don't believe because my dad beat me when mm -hmm. I was growing or. I saw my dad do this, you know, he'd go to church and sort of do the whole spiritual thing, but then he'd come home and he'd do that. He'd neglect <laughs> us all day long, you know, mm -hmm. like that's probably, that's a different situation. If their kid doesn't turn out to believe it's largely because they just saw blatant hypocrisy from their parents. But if their parents, if there's those kids would be like, no, I, my, my mom was a Christian. My dad was a Christian. They led I, I just didn't want to believe and I did my own thing. That's a different situation, mm -hmm. um, especially if they didn't allow that sort of behavior to continue on in their house, but made hard, hard decisions, then you, you can't hold that against them. Um, that's that kid's choices. Yeah. And I think that that's at least a part of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, specifically in this text, it says to manage their household well. Be, and, he, and Paul gives a clarification, some understanding, because if he can't manage his house, how can he help manage the church? Right. Um, and I think this is mostly talking, and it says specifically keeping your children submissive. So this is more than likely talking about younger children, children who don't, who aren't adults yet. Yeah. And can a, can <clears throat> a man maintain peace within his home? <clears throat> yeah. Or is his home in a situation, and this could be totally not his fault. He could have children who are dealing with mental illness or dealing with some kind of difficulty. And that means he needs to devote more time to maintaining and managing his home. Yeah. Which means maybe he can't participate in leading in the church because he has to devote extra time. That's not necessarily his fault. Um, you know, perhaps some of the blame could be given to him, but still, this is he's just not in a place where he can manage both at the same time. And I yeah. think I think that's that can happen. A pastor who's serving as a pastor may need to take time away from that role in the event. And this is rare where a child is, is not in submission because they're just going through a seriously hard time and they might need to, you know, and, I, and we've seen examples of this, 
<clears throat> and elders, of course, do this. And this is why our lay elders only serve for periods of time. They're given sabbaticals and these kinds of things because it's a big task to do both. They're double duty. They're full-time working, most of them, and also spending a lot of time leading the church. But anyways, I, th- yeah. I think it's basically if you're able to, if your children are not going to be, they're not perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. But if their house is in order, there's peace, uh, you know, and they, they, they're fulfilling that leadership role in the home, then I think that qualifies them to be, to yeah. be, you know, yeah. And so you, you think maybe, and maybe this is true of a lot of these, a better way to read that is not as a prove yourself worthy of being an elder by like getting your house under control, but maybe more as like, if you need more time at home, don't take on another yeah. responsibility here at the church. If you yeah. need to figure out stuff at home, don't neglect those basic things. <clears throat> and that really could be true of a lot of these. Like if you have sure. a drinking problem. Yeah. <laughs> let's get the drinking problem. Yeah. Like just first. take care of your, yeah. like that's better. <clears throat> that's not just better for the church. That's better for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like right. instead of like taking on another stressful situation, that's leading you to cope with it by over consuming alcohol. You know, like, let's take care of the one thing first, you know, yeah. before adding. So, I mean, that's probably true. If you have a big, huge anger issue, <coughs> don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be dealing with conflict constantly. Right. You know, like, instead, take care of your anger issues. And then then maybe if you're still a leader at that point, like, let's talk about eldership, yeah. right? Like, so all of that uh, is not just for the health of the church, but also for the health of the elder himself or potential elder. Yeah, I mean, with the house... Though you do, I think a lot of that will show if that guy is willing to engage in conflict. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, how many men are out there who just don't deal with conflict at all? And so, and like, but there's a conflict in their house, you know, kids are acting unruly and the dad just disappears into the garage and mom has to be the one who's the disciplinarian. But dad isn't engaged Mm. and he disappears and walks away. That dude should never be an elder until he figures out how to actually like engage in conflict and manage his house and not just leave that to his wife to handle. And that that's a real situation. I mean, that's like 50% or more of homes, (laughs) like (laughs) even Christian homes is, uh, I can't handle this right now. You know, I'm just going to like go and sit in my trailer you know, out in the, in the in the driveway, and just like not deal with this. I'm turning the game on. You know, it's it's just one of those things. that's like then that person probably shouldn't serve in in this level because they don't engage in the conflict. And in order to bring peace, right? Yeah. They so they. Uh, I think that in ministry, especially eldership, these are guys who need to jump in and settle peace bring peace where there isn't peace and be a peacemaker in that. So anyway, they, you'll see that in their house. I mean, and also primarily they are like all Christians, but primarily elders are discipling. So if yeah, you, yeah. you ought to be discipling your children, helping them to understand the gospel and to learn these truths. Cause the other thing that could happen with regard to this is like, um, the, the father won't really get involved with helping the, the children's under like understanding where they're off until it gets to the point where it's like the, the line has been crossed and then they get involved with strict discipline or some kind of right. ha- like heavy handedness. 
but they weren't involved or they, from they, the beginning, they yeah. were somewhat neglectful to help disciple the child to understand the right way, you know? So it's just engagement, discipleship, mm-hmm. management. I think they all kind of coincide. And that's the thing is this is very broad. Every situation is very unique. Yeah. And every child is unique and every household is unique. And they're, you know, who knows if, if both parents are Christians. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's not mentioned here. The wives of elders aren't even mentioned, which is one of the reasons why in the deacon section, chances are that's talking about female deacons. But yeah, it, you know, it's not impossible that, that an elder, I mean, couldn't, could a person be an elder with an unbelieving wife? I mean, yeah, that's a good, I think in Titus, it specifically says that <coughs> they need to be, <coughs> um, have a believing wife. I could be wrong though. Titus one, Titus wife. being the other like pastoral epistle, yes, Paul wrote you. them at the same time to people that he was discipling. Really, Titus and Timothy. Yeah, yeah. verse chapter one, verse six. If anyone is above reproach, which is, so this is the same kind of list: the husband yeah. of one wife, his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. This yeah. is similar. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy, gain, hospitalities mentioned, the lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction. So it's it's almost the same. It doesn't mention it doesn't that mention wives believe. It's just as husband of one wife. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> this is not an exhaustive list no. of the qualifications, but these are the sort of for sure have to be there. Um, I, yeah, I think that it'd be really difficult to serve in ministry, um, with an unbelieving, yeah, with an unbelieving it'd be very wife difficult. at I'm, this, at this level. I'm curious though, like, I mean, would there have even been a context for that to the people he was writing to? Like, did, I mean, Peter like, if talks you to become the women a, who have if, unbelieving husbands. Yeah. But I don't like if you're a husband and you convert to a religion and that, day and age you then probably just convert too. you probably just converted yeah. your family you just like you know what force, i mean forced your wife to yeah i don't know if adhere. like yeah i mean there's i mean culturally culturally I, I wonder and so that would be far different <coughs> than our culture yeah which would not like there is no requirement of a spouse to anyways we're kind, we're getting into the weeds but the yeah, point is that you weird. manage your household well and that, that's definitely a complicated case by case situation 100 percent well, complicated on, case by case <laughs> on that on that same subject though the husband of one wife this is a uh what does he mean by this you know and there in in john stott's commentary he outlined five possible scenarios yeah this and uh that's funny five i can't think what are of the five it. uh because well, the husband of like one current wife so right isn't that one option like so not like necessarily married divorced married yeah like they're currently married to one wife he, or it, is it married to one wife over your entire lifetime exactly. or is it specifically forbidding a polygamist or is it, you know, like it could be, but what's the other, that's only three. What's, what's the other Well, the two? other one was like, what if the man is single? Oh, so it forbids singleness. You so, have yeah. to act, you have to have. You have to be married. Minimum one wife. Right. And, and he, he basically and said, maximum. so some argue or <laughs> would say, well, Paul is saying you have to be married in order to be an elder, which is quickly rejected because Paul wasn't a, Paul wasn't. <laughs> And B, well, let's Jesus wasn't A, <laughs> B, Paul wasn't. There you go. And C, 
he literally gets into it right after this and says that that's what the false teachers in this church were teaching was the prohibition of marriage mm-hmm. and asceticism, basically. And so clearly he's not saying that because hmm. he literally a few lines later says that is a false doctrine um, being taught is that to refrain from being married. So he's not talking about singleness. In <clears> fact, <throat> in Corinthians, he celebrates singleness in regard to focus in ministry and things like yeah. that. Uh, I mean, I think in a certain context, he would, this would apply to a not like you can't be a polygamist and clearly and be an elder of a church because that would be outside of the ideal, the way God made mm-hmm. you husband and wife, you know, sort of faithful to one woman and one woman to one husband. Um, I, I don't think what he's saying though is like, <clears throat> let's say the guy wasn't a Christian you know, got married, got divorced, became a Christian later on, or or maybe he he got married again and then became a Christian, and his wife, new wife, became a Christian, and you know, a few years later, he feels a call in his life. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's not uh, disqualifying him from future ministry. Right? He was living in ignorance. I mean, there was a lot of sin that he was doing. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, I mean, I mean he was know? unregenerate, unregenerate, at the time. and like Paul says in First Corinthians, you, you, we can't judge those outside. You know, those outside we don't judge; we only judge those inside. <clears throat> so yeah, he's not he's not in the fa- in the family of the faith. Right. So until so that's a good example. Another one is we have you know a pastor friend who was married and his wife committed adultery, and his first marriage was then dissolved very quickly. Ah, yeah. And he was then remarried. He's a pastor at a church. And so he's he's on his second marriage technically, but his first marriage, you know, fell apart because of infidelity, which Jesus directly addresses. Well, uh, and and not just infidelity. That dude fought yeah. for his wife. Yeah. He tried and she just legitimately told him to his face, "I don't love you anymore." And just like walked away from him. I mean, just tragic. Yeah horrible situation you know and and he took some time away yeah um he he was in ministry sort of he was on staff but he wasn't a pastor no um and but he was working toward that and so he he stayed on staff but he like stepped down from doing certain things to sort of reflect on like dude what did i miss (laughs) when we were like engaged and early marriage and stuff like that because she confessed she confessed to be a Christian and all of these things and then just like lost it. Yeah. So really, really sad situation. Um, and there's nothing you can get, you can do in that. I, right. And I don't think that would disqualify a guy No. from being now, if he just like, okay, see ya, you know, then it's like, you're not going to fight for your marriage. They went through counseling and all these things. Like he, he really tried to do that. I think that he would be released in that moment. And I think mm-hmm. Paul talks about that in regard to unbelieving spouses and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. So again, it's a complex situation, but I think for sure it talks about the fidelity. Like you have uh, loyalty to your wife, the one wife that you have at that time. And there's circumstances, but I mean, you specifically said from the pulpit, which we should probably address is that if you as an elder or a pastor commit adultery, 
you are You're disqualified. You're done. It, so you think that's what this is saying as well? Yeah. I mean, and and that <clears throat> that's where like John Stott landed in his commentary. I think that he really like I, I personally just leaned on the like, I think in the context he was speaking more to polygamy. Mm-hmm. Um but then I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, maybe not, because like in Uganda today and all, all over the world, they still practice polygamy. So it would certainly apply to that. Um, but with the Temple of Diana there, <laughs> there was probably a lot of cheating going on too. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that in our sex-saturated culture, it's not, you know, it, that's why you were saying earlier, Cody, like it's not uncommon right. to hear of pastors church leaders falling morally um, <clears throat> with someone who's not their spouse. And so this would certainly apply to that as a, a primary application of faithfulness yeah. to their one wife. Because as Paul talks about in Ephesians, the picture of marriage, mm-hmm. that it pictures the gospel and his love for the church. And that's what husbands are <clears throat> elders are supposed to do, right? As If they're married, then this is how you sort of handle yourself. And yeah. I mean, that sort of brings a conversation in because, yeah, we've known pastors who have fallen morally. I mean, my my hard stance is like, you're done then. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're actually Greg Laurie said this at, at uh, my last our last church. I never I was in this meeting. A pastor had just fallen and he was he knew him well. And he said in all of his years, he had been like 45 years at this point in ministry. Mm, And he said he had never met a pastor who confessed. They always got caught. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is wild. Hmm. Like, and, and I mean, you know, you, it's, it's a hard situation, you know, um, when you fall into sin, you don't know how to get out of it, you know, but it's it's hard to be restored when you're caught. Yeah, versus I mean, confessing. your your integrity. Well, also self control is connected to this idea. Yeah, yeah. But your integrity, your credibility as a leader, has disintegrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that point. So you you could still be a Christian, <laughs> repentance, restoration, but leadership is. I I agree with you. Is pretty much off limits. You can participate in the church. You can serve in the church to some degree, but for sure, I wouldn't say as in a leadership role you have lost your credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that, yeah, like we're not saying you can't be saved or you can't, you know, right, right, by right. any means, there's always room for... Or even be restored to some effective ministry in the church. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the depth of your repentance. Yeah. Like if you're still making excuses for why that, oh, well, my wife was neglecting me or you don't understand, she was pursuing after me and, you know, like all of these things, right? I mean, if they come up with all these excuses, then it's like, well, <clears throat> then... You're just justifying bad behavior, and we're not going there. They but. fell. They fell in love. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I hate. I hate the falling into sin. I get it. Like I, I use it too, but it's like you don't. Ju- it's not like you tripped and just fell into adultery. Like yeah. that's something you know. Yeah. Well, you actively participated in sinning. There, like, there's a more. I don't know what the right word. There's kind of a more sinister layer to this too, though, because of the. Uh, like the power imbalance oh, of being a pastor or an elder. Mm-hmm. Like you are in charge of like, if it's required, kicking someone out of that Christian community, right? 
and you are given the authority to teach scripture, to teach the words of God, right? So you have this kind of spiritual, relational, um, you know, even a little bit of like financial in some ways. For sure. uh, Power that like, I don't know that there can be like real, like uh, just two-way consent no, to, a, to a like sexual relationship right. at that point, you know? And so I feel like if you have been, if you have that much power and authority spiritually, emotionally, Influence. socially Influence. over a person and you've abused that yeah. to commit a sin with that person, like, yeah, that's where for me, and people will say I'm unforgiving or, <laughs> or I need to be open, more open-minded but for me, once you've crossed that, yeah, you are, you should not ever have that amount of power and authority again. Yeah. Uh, you just shouldn't. There's like, there's other things to do. There's other people. Um, but that's true of really this whole list. You know, that's why not a lover of money. If you're going to have significant sway over the finances of a, an entire organization, you can't throw a greedy person in there who makes shady business choices. <clears throat> right. You can't throw that person in there. You know, if you are going to have, you know, spiritual authority over people, you can't be quarrelsome and like sp- end up spiritually abusing someone. Like there's totally. there's a a level of uh, you know, power and authority that like there's a lot of things that just could go wrong. If you don't have like a really, really self-controlled person in that position. Mm-hmm. That's why character is the focus in this section. It's not skill. There's only one skill yeah. that's mentioned, which is teaching more or less. The rest of it is godliness and character, you know, and integrity and those sorts yeah. of things. What about hospitality? You said if you can't open up your home. And I think yeah. generally that's how <laughs> hospitality work. But what if you're an elder in a location where you can only afford a studio apartment? Yeah. You know, you can't really have a lot of people at your house or, you know what I mean? I don't know. There's hospitality looks like more than what sure. in that, right? Well, I said open up your home or open up your life mm, okay. to someone, you know, like mm, that's good. You can be really hospitable without if you don't have the space in your house yeah. to host a small group. Or to have people over for dinner. Right. You know, that's... You can that, be hospitable at the local coffee shop. For sure. And, like, be intimate, uh, you know, uh, that was a weird way of saying it, but, like, <laughs> be, be intimate at the emotionally, local shop. like, you know, spiritually <laughs> intimate with a yeah. person. Relational. Yeah, because you're, like, you know, I mean, intimate in, like, the vulnerable sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, the hospitable, as you guys know, is philoxenia uh, or something like that. Um xenophobia is the fear of strangers where philoxenia is the love of the stranger, right? Right. So that's what this word is. And so hospitable means I love different people. And that idea would be like, I welcome the stranger. Yeah. A traveler is coming in and, and the image would be, they didn't have motels or hotels back then or Airbnbs. And so the pastor's house became the place where you stayed. And uh, I, I mean, I remember when I was traveling here um, and I, when I would fly up here from California, there were people who opened up their home to me mm-hmm. and my wife and I got to stay there. They'd let me borrow their car. You know, like it was like, dude, that's hospitality. Um, people who are yeah. opening up their life and being sacrificial with <clears> their time <throat> 
and their resources and their uh, just their life, opening up their home and and being willing to let someone see what their house looks like from the inside, yeah. you know? Um, that great book uh, by Butterfield, right? Um, she, was a, she was a homosexual. Right. And a pastor just welcomed her in to their life, That's to true. their family. And what is her book? The... Uh, the, the unlikely convert. I think it's like secret, secret confessions the, the of an unlikely The secrets of an unlikely convert, yeah. yeah. And she talks about Over how a, this a family. She would go to dinner with him and his wife for yep. like a year more than that. Yeah. On the weekly basis. But yeah. yeah, I think, you know, in our context, predominantly, most of us are blessed to have the ability to welcome people into our homes. Mm. And so I think we ought to do all we can to to make that happen. And, and where we can't to try to do it in other ways, like you yeah. were saying in a coffee shop or things like that. Well, so, and yeah. I'll, if I'll add another thing, it's not just the giving hospitality, but receiving hospitality. Um, because your church members or future church members like also have something to offer you too. And so I've had people go, Hey, do you welcome invitations to come over for dinner? I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Always are you talking about Always. Like, free food. Let's what? Go. <laughs> I mean, are you sure you want my kids over to your house? You know? Um, but I think that some people are curious, like if I invited you over, would that be an inconvenience for you? And like, am I asking too much to have you come over to my house? And it's like, sure. We're not, as the church grows, you're not gonna be able to go to everybody's house. But <clears throat> if your church is so big, you can't go to anybody's house then you're not being hospitable. Because <laughs> that literally makes no sense. Yeah, it makes like, no sense. Like it's not possible for your church to be too big to go to anyone's house. Right. <laughs> like you can still go to one <laughs> or two right. or three, you know. But once uh, you start that precedent, then you have to you have to go to everyone's house who invites you. Yeah. That's yeah. actually true. Afraid of. Yeah. Like, they shelter, you know. If I, if I say okay to this person, that means I got to say okay to that yeah, person. What if you have to say yes to someone <clears throat> who's weird? I know. Now you have to have a weird dinner. Oh, I, man, I knew that'd be a, so terrible. I knew a pastor who was pretty like, I would say for the most part, he was like kind of generous, but he never, like he intentionally told me and a few guys one time, I never have anyone over to my house. That's my sanctuary. Like I do ministry outside. When I go home, I want to just like sit on my couch and like just repair from the day, from the day, and I'm like, I just remember like looking at him, going, "How do you reconcile that?" Yeah, with the qualifications of an elder in the Bible, in hospitality, like <laughs> right. I never have anyone. That is my sacred space. I remember him saying that, and I'm like, my sanctuary. And I'm like, ah, I mean, yeah, it can be that. Yeah, but also, shouldn't you that be okay to have people over? Right. Like, don't can, you have friends? It can be that six days a week, and then one night you have someone. One over. One night you have someone right. over. Yeah, like I don't know. It was or it was thirty weird. days of the month, and one night. You know what I mean? Like you. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So the normative practice would be to be able to open your home, and there are exceptions, but they're more rare. Like generally. Right. I think right. that's fair to say. Yeah. <clears throat> and then able to teach, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Even normative. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I don't, like one of our elders, Brandon Chase, like I've never been like to his house for dinner. I have. Okay. Not for dinner. But you're better. You're better. I than... went to his house just to, cause he, he allowed me to borrow his truck. 
which I thought was very hospitable. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been to his I've been to his house. I've never been into his house. That's right. True. Yeah. But I get a text every week. Hey, love to see you guys at coffee on Friday that's morning. True. You know, like that's hospitable. Like, and that is, you know, yeah. So he's been very hospitable to me without ever having me inside his house. Dude, Brandon, you know what I mean? Brandon hosts people at his office. That is his yeah, place. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, he, like, there is like, he has like movie nights there. I think. <laughs> yeah. He, he does like, he, it's, yeah. He's, but he's also, a, Brandon would never say no one's allowed in my house. No way. But I'm just saying, never. like, there's an example of someone who shows amazing hospitality and in it doesn't, ways. and it doesn't have to ways. be in his yeah, home, that's you true. know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you, you were going on. He has to be able to teach, able, able to, to teach. teach it. And I mean, yeah, this. Like I said, I think this is where it scares a lot of guys. You know, like I don't know if I can preach a Sunday sermon. It's like, well, he didn't say that. And he said you have to be able to teach the Bible. Right. And so, if I get a, if we get a new person at the church who doesn't or has some questions, I should be able to say, hey, Elder Bob, you know, can you take Joe Schmo? And start meeting with him and just go through a book of the Bible and answer any questions that he may have. Like, he should be able to do that. I mean, he's not going to have all of the answers right. right away, but he should know where and how to find them. And, and just in general, be able to communicate. This is what the Bible is saying, and this is how you would apply it to today. Um, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, small group. Uh, like a life group or something like that. Yeah. Um, they should be able to men's huddle devotions for sure. We have a lot of little teaching. I mean, <coughs> the vast majority of people, Christians, will never preach a Sunday morning sermon for sure. Like it's a it's a pretty rare opportunity that we have. You right, know what I mean? Right. And, right. And that doesn't mean, but we have immensely many more men who are in leadership in churches around the world. Mm -hmm. And so that can't be what that means. It just means, and I think the way Titus put it is really, is really good. They, and I think he also says something similar about deacons that they hold the mystery of the faith Yeah, that, yeah. that they understand the scriptures and are able to, but then, uh, yeah, verse nine in chapter one of Titus hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine. So that that's even more aligned with kind of the broader teaching one-on-one, yeah. -on -one, small group, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's the context, right? It's starting out, like we've we've said, identified the, the key apex of this letter as that idea that the church is the pillar, the buttress of truth. Yeah. There's strange people teaching strange things, stirring up controversy. There's... Uh, like wealthy women coming in trying to flaunt their influence <laughs> and they haven't Braided been taught hair. well. And then we get to this spot <laughs> where it's like they should be able to teach. So he's talking about you're, you should have identified authoritative people in your church who understand good apostolic doctrine and is able to guard it and teach it well. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be the only guy. The pastor shouldn't be the only guy. Really, the whole church should be, but... Let's like make sure we know who has been identified and given the authority to teach mm -hmm. and to identify bad teaching, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like in our bylaws, um, elders are the body responsible for guarding the teaching of the church. Mm. And, uh, and I think that that's an appropriate application of this too. Mm. Um, but yeah, not everybody's going to preach. I mean, because even later on, he says, 
in chapter five, and I'm not going to preach on this, but Todd Miles is going to <laughs> in a couple of weeks. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay, so clearly there's some elders on that elder team in a church where there there are some of them who their particular gifting is preaching and teaching. Yeah. Um, and so there's a certain kind of burden mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes with that obligation. And so he said, let them be worthy of double honor. Uh, well, actually, those who just rule well are right. worthy of double honor. And those who especially work hard at preaching, and, just, especially yeah. those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Why would he make a distinction if they were all doing preaching and teaching? Preaching you know and teaching. I mean? So they, they're able to teach and they have teaching, you know, situations, but pre- they're not, they're not specially doing that anyways. Yeah. I think those are all really good points. I think the big, the, one of the big ones here is just not a recent convert. Yeah. Um, because he may become puffed up with conceit and fall to in condemnation of the devil, condemnation of the devil. Um, I, like I said on Sunday, um, there's elders who are not converted, not in our church, but uh, I mean, you know, there it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guy, guys get on the team who have an agenda, um, or they, they've known them for a long time, and oh, so and so was on this board in the community, and yeah, let's bring him on. I think that's common. Is a church goes like, well, what do we need? Like I, you know, I'm a pastor. I went to seminary, not business school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to do all this budget stuff and like how how do I keep everything running? <clears throat> Let me just find somebody who went who has a business degree. Yeah. Maybe who runs a business and you just go look for that person and you miss you know, I think sometimes it's the church's fault that they've sure. called people because totally. they saw them with a skill they needed more than they saw them as like actually a a Christian who can pastor Right. And uh, oversee a church. Right. They were just like, I need someone to do the budget thing. <laughs> right. Right. Or whatever. Dude, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share a total raw story because I don't really care at this point. Um, when I first got here to Candy Christian. Oh, jeez. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Holy crap. Strap in, boys. Jeez. Dude, this, this story was amazing. So there was a guy. He was a really influential dude. Not an elder. And we went through some struggles. Early on, right? An attempted coup and all of these things. There was a lot of miscommunication, misunderstanding. And I had been here about a year when, or less than a year when everything kind of like hit the fan, you know? And, but about a year later, I'm ha- or a year in, I'm having this conversation with this guy. And he goes, Aaron, what you need, what this church needs is j- some guys who are really good businessmen on the elder team. You need, that's what you need. That's what will fix all this. And I looked at him, I'm like, no, because it's that mentality that got this church in the this predicament in the first place is a bunch of guys who are good with numbers, but not good with people. Mm. What I need are pastors, people who actually are spiritual leaders in the church and are actually listening to the congregation and can lead in faith in what God is saying. And you could just see the look on his face. He thought he was the smartest guy in the world. Like, I'm going to tell Aaron what he needs. He needs businessmen. And then I say that, and he's like, 
Oh, shoot. Like, then he was able to look back and go, well, who was on the team? Oh, they were all businessmen. <laughs> and, and it's like, so what he meant was you need better businessmen. That's what you need, better businessmen than these guys. I'm like, no, it's, see, it's that mentality that got this church in the problem it was in in the first place. And you're just, you're going to keep making the same mistake because you're continuing to do the same thing, expecting a different result. And that's just insane. Mm-hmm. Like literally by definition. And so it was, it was just funny. And I think that's what, you know, we're not looking for businessmen. We're not looking for the guys with clout in the community or even the charismatic characteristics, right? Personalities. We're looking for people who are genuinely converted, who have the spirit of God inside of them, who have demonstrated faithfulness and, and are not new to that. Yeah. Right. They've been like he says about uh, deacons, they need to be tested, but elders need to be tested. Yeah. Have well, they suffered? And even for us beyond that, I mean, this isn't it doesn't say this in the scripture, but just for us as a church, we've seen this to be a good idea. Like it's not not even just not a recent convert, like not a recent attender of the church. For sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even then it, it's uh, it, it's not in here to make someone disqualified from the office of elder, but it is unwise to take someone who's just new and excited about your church and go like, get caught up and like, whoa, they seem so cool. And they're such a good Christian. And like, just put them on, you know, without the time of like how invested in this community, Uh in this church, have they demonstrated themselves to be? And sometimes that can be a problem too. Um, So we are even just not, not just not a recent convert, but not a recent attender of the church. Right. Yeah. What do you what do you guys think about the money thing? I love the, it. Uh, not, not <laughs> I mean, I don't love money. it. I don't love it. Not a lover of money. I mean, I think we have some really good examples of uh, really bad church leaders who Judas. <laughs> there you go. Judas. <laughs> Judas is a perfect example. I was thinking more of like the prosperity gospel For crazy sure. guys who are. Uh, you know, buying jumbo jets on the back of poor congregants. Yeah. Like it's, um, again, or, I mean, similar to what I said earlier, you have too much spiritual and social authority to potentially manipulate somebody out of some of their finances. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that is a, a, a power and authority that cannot be abused. And mm. if there's any potential for it to be abused by someone who's demonstrated themselves to, be manipulative with getting money out of people, then they should not be an elder. Like they just shouldn't be given yeah. the opportunity to do that. Well, another thing is you touched on this, I think on your sermon, which is the motivation. Like if you're getting into ministry because you want to make money, you're in the wrong line of work. Sure. Like this is not how you get rich. Yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. And if it is, then there you need to investigate what's going on there. Cause generally speaking, like you mentioned, this is a service like this is a job where you come and you wash feet. Like you are the servant, just like Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. If you, the apostles, my apostles who want to be leaders of my church, you need to do what I do, which is get down on your knees and serve people. And the, you know, like he said, the, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Like essentially you're not trying to get wealthy. And mm-hmm. if your motivation is I want to be a pastor of that fairly influential church, cause I want to get a nice salary and have a pretty easy job. Like you, you have another thing coming. Like right. This. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and balancing that again, this is going, Todd Miles is going to preach on this, mm-hmm. but this is not to say that, and, and pa- churches have wrongly applied that mentality that you yeah. were just saying 
to say that pastors should then live in poverty because Jesus didn't have, you know, foxes have holes, <laughs> right? birds of the air have nests, but he, the son of man had no place to lay his head. So should pastors, you know, right. there should be living in poverty and basically their kids grow up hating Jesus because they were poor their whole lives. But he says, uh, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. And he's applying that to people in pastoral ministry yeah. and people who work for the church. It doesn't mean they need to live in poverty, but the flip side of that is people who get into ministry for dishonest gain, which right. is what he's how he phrases it with um, deacons. But a lover of money, yeah, I mean, this is what Judas was, right? He loved money. He was motivated by money. I, I think this is something that I have seen with like partiality. James mm. talks about this, yeah. where you show partiality to people who have money. And you give them the best seats or you give them the best treatment um, because mm. you don't want to lose them from your congregation. Yeah. Um, They're or, or your salary. Or you just want to hang out with them. You'd rather hang out with rich people mm. than just normal people. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. My personality runs from that. And yeah. I, I thank the Lord for that because I think he's given that to me. I, I don't care what someone gives. In fact, if someone gives a lot, then I'm, I'm leery. I'm <laughs> nervous that they're going to try and like influence me right, or right. something, you know, yeah. um, use that to, to take some kind of authority or something. Yeah. I mean, I've literally told somebody to his face who gave some money, like this doesn't change anything. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't have any more authority. You don't have any more say like, this doesn't mean anything. I mean, if you want to give to a project that the elders have sort of said, this is what we believe God doing cool, but you're not here because of your money to shift the vision of our church. And that's how people use that, mm. um, is they throw their weight around for money and we just, yeah, they can't be influenced by somebody else's dollars. At the same time, they can't treat people who have no money as worse. Like they need to love everybody yeah. and care for people no matter what they sort of bring to the table financially. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay. mean, if Deacons. that, if that were true, I wouldn't hang out with any of the middle school or high school kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're not giving any money. None of them are contributing any money. Uh, I Time <laughs> is running long. Okay, Deacons, so. I mean, basically they're similar qualifications. The big difference, of course, well, there's two maybe, is teaching is not mentioned for deacons because as you said, from H.P. Charles, elders uh, lead by teaching. L serve the church by serve leading by the church. Leading. And the deacons, deacons lead, lead the church serving. by serving the that's church. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's absolutely true. So deacons are, are literally that word means servant or waiting on tables. It's I like house it's, servant. Yeah. Um, well, and, and Paul even calls himself a servant and he calls himself a servant of the word. Yeah, um, I mean, all the elders are servants too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, they're just serving in a yeah by leading, like I, I said already. I Deacons did, are doing more. <laughs> I did find a really cool like I had never heard this before, but deacons are kind of like ministry assistants. <clears throat> so yeah. if the pastors or elder team are like, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do," then the deacons are the ones who like go and do it. Mm -hmm. um, which I was like, I, I think in some churches there's like a separation. We're the ones who do this. You're the ones who do that. And in one sense, that's true. 
but I saw uh, in this commentary, I actually like that because it kind of brings them more together. Like deacons are actually not to, they're almost like pastor's assistants. Yeah. Like you're coming alongside the pastors, the elders, and you're sort of learning ministry, but you're also the one responsible for making sure it happens. And so if the elders set the budget, you're the one who creates it in your Excel spreadsheet or whatever, you know, as just one modern day example. Um, so having those people who can help right. in that way, I I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool application. Yeah. Because then it's not like you're just like the deacon of sound. Yeah. Or the, you know what I Deacons mean? Deacons are there to free up the elders to focus on their task, which is leading by, yeah. you know, teaching. and. Yeah. I mean, there's a great example of this in Acts, right? Where right. they're trying, like the people are coming to them. Acts chapter six. Yeah, going like, how do we get these widows taken care of? And the apostles are like trying to navigate it. And they're saying like, dude, we have to teach. We have to teach the word. And they and prayer. And they, yeah, they need to pray and they need to teach. That's their role. No one else has the authority to do that. Um, and so that would be, uh, I mean, a, a poor way to put it, it'd be a waste of their time. Mm. as the only people who can teach with the authority of an apostle, you yeah. know? And, uh, and so they elect some people to be in charge of that because that is not well, invaluable or not uh, unvaluable work. Like that is as Christians, we should care mm-hmm. about that. And so they said, that's really, really important, but it's not more important for my time than teaching with the authority that Christ has given. That's me, right. Right. Yeah. The other main difference is that elders, it's very clearly seems to be a male position, of course, but then verse 11 of chapter Mm. three says their wives is how the ESV renders it. NASB (coughs) renders it. Does it the women? It just says women. Because that's the Greek word could be either wives or women. Yeah. What is it? Contextually. Gine. If you go up like a gynecologist, but Gine. I noticed that on Sunday. Could mean wives or women. Same same word, and yeah. it's really hard to translate. The context is what helps you understand the meaning. So it could be wives, since he's talking about the deacons, or it could be women likewise, women deacons. So it's hard to translate that, and depending on someone's disposition, right? that's how they would. So people who, tra- who do the ESV translation – Probably they don't believe that women can be deacons, <laughs> but those who translate the, the NASB and I don't have any problem with female deacons. Yeah, well, those who translate the NASB though are probably more excited oh, about the seeing women deacons. The translators, not the users, the translators. Not the, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Even in translation, there is theological persuasion. It's definitely a debated <sighs> subject. There are churches who don't ha- don't have female deacons. Um, we at our church see no problem with that uh-huh. um and the women we have female deacons at our church i mean ashley technically i guess would be a female deacon although yeah, we call i mean her many that. churches don't have deacons at all that's like true. they but they do right they do they, they do they don't call they don't deacon. give anyone title deacon but they have <clears throat> yeah. people who are serving yeah overseeing a ministry, ministry leader <laughs> ministry director and those churches should be looking at this list going do the people we have leading ministries mm-hmm. are they the right people are they qualified and called and whatever you know yeah but yeah i mean i i don't think any of the churches i grew up in really use deacon much at all the word yeah yeah right as, I, an, as an official title of someone i forgot to mention last week 
or last podcast um last week yeah exactly <laughs> last week for the listener i'll never i'll never forget dan leishner who was the chair elder when i was getting hired here and still one of my favorite people in the church um he <laughs> he was so it was my first meeting to meet the elders right when i was candidating and I was supposed to meet with him. It was supposed to be an informal, just get to know you. What's your favorite color? You know, like, <laughs> do you like long walks on the beach? Kind of like a conversation. And and I, I think I opened up and Dan goes, I, like, I do you guys have any questions for me? And he goes, what do you think about women in ministry? And I'm, and I'm literally looking at this room and there's two or three women in the room, elders' wives. And I look at him like, what do you guys believe? Because <laughs> like, I honestly didn't know what yeah. they believed because it was their statement of faith was so like milk toast, you know? I didn't know. I didn't know anything about him. And he and it was it was a funny conversation how that went off. Um, but I'll never forget one of the first questions, the first question I was ever asked here was what's my view mm-hmm. on women in leadership and it's a big deal. ministry. Can a woman be a pastor is what he said to me. And I think that question right there would be indicative of where I stood on a lot of things, kind of going back to the last discussion. Um, but it just it's always a funny thing. I reminded him of it the other day, like when before I preached the sermon. Hey, remember the first time we met? The first question you asked me? Of course he didn't remember. And then I reminded him and he remembered and we laughed together. But Okay. Anyway. I'm short on time. Yeah, we Rob needs to go. And- well that's that's a good transition to this. Oh, Volunteer of the Week. Because you laughed together. Mm -hmm. And the Volunteer of the Week this week is Renee McLafferty. McLafferty. (laughs) (laughs) Which you you may or may not know. It's actually McClarity, but... Spelled McLafferty. But I needed the transition. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but uh, Renee, I mean, Renee served in a plethora of ways Mm -hmm. over her time. Well, she was on staff here for years. She's been here, yeah, longer than any of us. Um, but she still serves at the info desk. Um, and really we are grateful for all the people that do that. Um, it's often, uh, overlooked way to volunteer, but so, so important, especially when new people are coming in, they don't know what's going on. Um, and Renee is always such a welcoming and knowledgeable person to have there. Um, and, uh, if one person knows what's going on, it's Renee. Yeah. So it's great. (laughs) If you see Renee, tell her she's a volunteer of the week. Thank her. Uh, for what she does and and what she has done over the years uh, here at the church, um, but especially at that info desk, making sure that there's a, a welcoming and comfortable place to come ask questions mm-hmm. and figure out what's going on uh, when you don't know what's going on around here. Amen. Um, it's time for Bible trivia right now. What you got, Bobby? <laughs> Since we talked about women last week, most mentioned men. Oh. Most most mentioned men. Is that like in the Bible? Th- is that the question? Just like literally the most mentioned man? Well, that is the first question. What man, as it, if you didn't know, is the most mentioned man in the Bible? Jesus? I mean, obviously that's what I went for, but I kind of want to say go, I'm gonna I go with David if Moses. it's not Jesus. I kind of think maybe Ooh, Moses. David? I'm gonna say Moses. Or like is is uh, is there enough Genesis Jesus. to say yeah, yeah, okay. Jesus? I mean, I thought it was Jesus, but then at the same time, I'm like, maybe it's a trick. It would be funny if it was like Moses or Abraham or something, like be, just because of the sheer bulk of Old Testament stories For that sure. technically their name was said more times. But yeah, that'd be wild. If oh, it was this is it. What leader with 740 mentions ranks 
third. I guess that means the third most mentioned. Yeah. Leader. Uh, is that the David one? It's got to be say it's, David. It's got to be Moses. I feel like it. I think I, David's more than maybe Moses. Abraham. No, Moses. I'm going to say Moses. I'm with you. I mean, it is Moses. David Moses, Mo- David, Moses Abraham are going to be like I our top like, guesses. I mean, it's only we knew who number throughout. two was. What king? Wait, so Moses was three. Moses so was two. third most mentioned. Third two is David. Mentioned. Two is David. Oh, oh two so I, David. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. What king mentioned with a thousand one hundred eighteen times in the Bible is the second most mentioned. Yeah, David. David. Dude, what about like uh, Jacob, though? Because mm, he, he's, be, he's Jacob and he's Israel. Israel. That's interesting. I don't and know. Israel, I guarantee, is mentioned. Well, here we go. What patriarch with 306 mentions ranks seventh? Abraham. You think Abraham? Seventh? Not Israel or Jacob? I'm interested. I mean, if you count Jacob and just the word Israel every time. Eric got it right. (laughs) Abraham. Give him the the chimes. Father Abraham. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That'll do it, dude. I I crushed it on that. Where are you you off to, Rob? You got to go somewhere? He's got to go get his kids ready. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.